Blog Talk Radio. It's, it's fun watching him. It really is. That is 
that's cool that you're able to be the same. I always wondered because not every kid gets to play college, much less high-level Division One. So not every parent gets to be the parent of a kid that's playing uh, high-level Division One as well. What was your what was your perception of the state of Kentucky and UK before they started recruiting Chris? Did you had you guys been to Kentucky? Did you even pay UK any attention? What was Kentucky like in your mind before uh, Chris's recruitment? Did you have family? In well, um, we, no, we didn't have any family in Kentucky. Um, you know, I really left this decision up to Chris, right? Um, I wanted him to go visit all of the schools. I wanted him to make this decision, and I wanted him to feel, you know, that this was the right decision. And when I spoke to him about Kentucky, I mean, he was head over heels. He was like, Dad, I love it. This is where I want to play. This is where I want to be. Um, they seem to really want me here. And that was his biggest thing. He wanted to go somewhere where somebody wanted him. He wanted to go somewhere where he knew he could learn and he can be better. And when he told me that, I said, go for it, kid. You know, it's your time, you know, and make that step. And he has has definitely done that. Uh, we see the, you know, the nickname Little Benny getting thrown around. We've seen his power. We saw mm-hmm. the incredible balance in, against in, against uh, Tennessee with the run where he was hit well before the first down line and uh, put that hand down and, you know, kept his balance to get it. Does he get yes, sir. the power, the balance? Does, does that? Does he get that straight from pops, or is, is that straight from you oh, know no. father to son? No. Is that kind? Of... <laughs> no. Listen, the only, the only thing he got from me is his heart. You know, it's his heart and his will to want to play. He didn't get that strength from me, but all of the things that he learned, I mean, come from tremendous coaches throughout his life. You know, from rec ball to 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 um to the high school level to junior high school level. I mean, there's a number of coaches that I can name, and I don't want to name them because I don't want to miss anybody. But there's a number of coaches that really had a big impact on Chris playing football, and I have to give that all to them. Uh, that, is, that is awesome. And just like, the humility that you have, like you passed that on to him as well in, in raising him, you know, bringing him up, sounds like, too. Yeah, that's how my father taught me. And, um, you know, I wanted to give that to my son also. See, we... Terry and I can speak to that. We got kids younger than Chris, not not college age yet, but I <laughs> I catch myself saying, you know, I try to raise them the same way that I was raised, you know. <laughs> right. Discipline right. I got I might might not have agreed with it at the time, but it was it turned out to be fair and, and for the best. So I'm trying to do the same. Yes, sir, yes sir. Absolutely. Um do you guys go to every game home and away? For uh, no, I try to go as I, I no, I try to go to as many games as I can. I don't go to every game, but I'm watching every game, you know. And I'm originally from New York, so a lot of times I go to bars, and uh, you know I got my Mets hat on or my Yankee hat on, and I'm watching the game, and everybody's looking at me. You know, I'm in Georgia. That's where I live in Georgia, and I'm looking, I'm screaming uh-huh. Kentucky and yelling, and they're looking at me. They're confused. You know, they're like, "This guy's yelling for Kentucky. <laughs> Is he from Kentucky? Like, this guy can't be from Kentucky." You know, so you know, I try to make as many games as I can. You know, I also got a seven-year-old little girl who asks for a lot of my time, and she wants to go a lot too. She, I took her to a couple of games, and she's excited just to watch her brother play. And even in the house, I mean, when we're watching the game, she's jumping up and down. So it's it's really exciting. 
Excellent, man. TB, jump in with any questions you got because, you know, uh, I ain't definitely trying to hog it all, man. Oh, absolutely. Y'all are rolling. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, coming to Kroger Field, um, some of the road venues, if you've been to some, are there some of those that stand out, places that you enjoy traveling to when you're not watching Oh, uh, in the bar with Oh yeah, I love I love traveling to Lexington. It's a great city. I mean, the field is awesome. I re- I mean, I remember the first time he uh, he got his offer, and you know, we went there and went on a trip. And when we all got a chance, you know, all the parents and all the students got a chance to walk on that field, man. And I was amazed. I really was amazed. I took. I still have all those pictures that I took, you know. But just to be there at the game, you know, in that in that feeling is is, is remarkable. There's no feeling like it. Talking with Chris Rodriguez Sr., father of UK running back Chris Rodriguez. And I'm not trying to bring the mood down at all, but I'm talking mm-hmm. so level headed and so practical. The start of the season, when we, we saw Chris fumble at the goal line, were mm-hmm. you aching for him? Were you hurting for him? What, was, what went to your mind as a dad right then? And then we saw him kind of have to work his way back up into the rotation, uh, and we see him doing huge things now. So from that moment till now, kind of what was, was your mindset? Because he's fought through it and, and seemed to do well. Nah, he has, and I knew he would. You know, and my number one thing, what I told Chris, is I said, you, you, you learn through, through failures, right? That's how you get your strength. You know, you, when you make a mistake, you, it's not going to happen again because you're going to learn from it. You know, you have to have these things happen. If you go through life and everything is easy, you know, when something bad happens, you're going to fold. You're not going to be able to bounce back up. But if you can go through the bad early and learn from it, you'll be a better you'll be a better player. So, you know, I explained that to him. I, I wasn't I didn't I wasn't down about it at all. You know, I said, you know, I'm, these things happen. You just have to learn from them and fight and want to be better. Absolutely, absolutely. Because nobody's gonna hand us anything and like you said the quicker you learn from it the better you are going forward you're exactly right yes sir that's it that's it that's it now this you know of course you're living in georgia and you know braves country i'm I'm a huge braves fan i'm i'm from kentucky but i was always a braves guy mm-hmm. uh do a lot of mets and yankees fans switch hats like you do you or you know is that because i'm like wow you well you rocking <laughs> both of well <laughs> well, you know, um, there 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 are a lot of Mets fans. I go to at least two games every year when the Mets come in town, and um, there are a lot of Mets fans um, <laughs> that come. You know, and it's it's a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun. Um, so we we enjoy each other. We have a good time. You know, a lot of people talk smack. You know, but it's it's, it's a fun feeling when the Mets come in town, and uh, we enjoy it. It's it's a lot of fun. And I took Chris with me too, and he wears his Braves hat. I wear my Mets hat. So he's been with me a couple times. That's me and my dad. I mean, I'm I'm 42, but I've always been a Braves fan. And first mm-hmm. World Series I remember that I was old enough to watch was that 86 World Series where I was actually sitting and watching and paying attention to what was going on before I had to go to bed. So I was watching that with my dad. Uh, he's like you. He'll he'll kind of from Kentucky, but he'll he'll kind of pull for the Yankees every now and then as well. But the, that Mets Red Sox World Series in '86 is the first one I remember watching uh, as a kid. 
what do you think about mm-hmm. Carlos Beltran? You got, got a new manager, you guys, and he was a great player. You know, hasn't been long he retired. He was. I mean, we'll see what he do. You know, we'll see what he do. I'm excited, you know, because I remember him as a player. So, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do and bring something. We started off so well this year. We actually did, and then it just we just tanked. So, um, you know, we'll see what he does. I'm excited. I'll be watching. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, we got the season coming to a close. I don't know about you, but has the, has the season flown by for the football standpoint? We get, we're at the Louisville game already. Has it yeah, went by just it in an instant by. for you? Yeah, it, it did. It did fly by. I mean, you know, even with all the injuries that we had and, you know, we still making a bowl, you know, and, you know, Coach Grant has done an exciting and a, a tremendous job with this team. And um, the season has gone by quick. I wish we, we still had 10, 20 more games to play. Um, but, yeah, it is coming to a close. But it did fly by pretty quickly. But it, it was fun. I enjoyed every bit of it. Absolutely. And now you, you know, you, from a fan standpoint, we've been peeping ahead to this one for a long time, and now the players and coaches can finally focus on it. But it's that Louisville game, the Cardinals are coming to town, rivalry game. Look, Auburn and Alabama and Ohio State, Michigan, all that gets more notoriety nationally. But this one is just mm-hmm. as passionate within our bluegrass state. So what do you think heading into the Louisville game, your thoughts on that whole rivalry now that you're a part of it and and gotten to see what it's like now. Well, you know, from from the kids in Lexington, I don't even know who that other team is you're talking about. I think they call them Hooeyville. That's right. Um, so I, I don't really know much <laughs> about them. I really don't know anything <laughs> about them. But I'm excited to see my guys get on the field and uh, and win this game. Absolutely. And Terry right there, Terry, our coach right here, he lives in Hooeyville, just, just so you know. But he's blue in Hooeyville. Okay. So he's a good guy. Okay, oh yeah, good. yeah, I'm, 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 I'm true, I'm true blue. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, sir. So you're a little bit Mets, a little bit Yankees. Are you? No, I'm not Giants. I'm not really Yankees. Jets? I'm, 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 I'm really a Mets fan. Uh, I, I, I wear the okay. Yankee hat because I grew, I grew up with it in New York, and it's the fashion statement. But I'm a Mets fan. Um, and I'm also a Giants fan, and I'm a Knicks fan, and Rangers. Giants fan. Oh, okay, okay. Are you praying for James Dolan to sell the Knicks? Is, are you to that point, or yes. is it? Yes, please do something <laughs> different. Please, please, <laughs> please do something different, man. It's not working, and nobody wants to come there and play with us. So that's the thing that hurts the most. You know, you have this big franchise that's done so many big things, and um. It's so so big, and the, you know the Madison Square Garden being the mecca of basketball. You don't have one star player that wants to come there. That's sad. That means something is going on, you know. So I I, I don't want the man to give up his job, but we need a change. Maybe he needs to bring in somebody, you know, that that's going to enforce that change and people to start respecting the culture more. But you know, we need to do something because I'm tired of seeing us losing. Yeah, it's you know. Frustrating, gotta be. I'm on the outside looking in, no dog in the fight. Um, but just, the, it's like you said, it's the same thing year in, year out. And changing coaches, that's that's not the solution. David Fisdale, I still believe, is a good coach. I think he got done wrong in Memphis. 
and they're trying to run him off now, and I think that'll be a bad decision as well. But it, it's the problem I, is I think so way above him. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It is. I don't think they need to run him off. I think he's a solid coach. I think he's a player's coach. Um, and, you know, when the team is not doing well, that's the first thing that people look at. They always look at the coach. They always want to blame the coach. But, you know, it's not always the coach. It's not. Growing up in New York, we're talking with Chris Rodriguez Sr., Chris Rodriguez Jr.'s father, UK running back. Growing up in New York, were you pretty nice on the playground growing up? Were you able to go out there and cook a little that, bit, Mr. Rodriguez? Yeah, basketball and baseball was my sports. Basketball and baseball. Um, there was a basketball court on every corner. Um, there was a basketball court at the, all of the schools. You can always go, into, even on Saturdays, you can go into the school playground and shoot. Um, you know, so I grew up playing basketball and baseball as a kid. My mom put me in baseball when I was younger. And, um, yeah, so those are the two sports that I played. And I think I had skills. I think I did. I think my jumper is still wet. <laughs> That's it. Was one more of your first love than the other, and were you better at one than the other, or did you like them both equally, and did you play them both equally? Yeah, I liked them both equally, but I did not play them both equally. Basketball was more accessible to me. You know, there was a court everywhere. Baseball, you really had to be a part of a team. You know, there wasn't many parks where guys got together and played baseball that I could, that I recall. Um, so, yeah, basketball and baseball, I love both the same. Um, but I, I felt like my skills got better in basketball because I was doing that more. Right, right. So were you a five-tool guy? Were you flashing leather? Or were you a you know, power hitter, slap hitter? What was the scout report on you on the down? <laughs> no, I was that guy on the wing, like, pass me the ball, it's going in. Just pass me the ball. I'm, I'm that guy running around on the wing, just sitting there waiting for you to pass me the ball. I'm going to throw it up. Ah, I got you. And what about in baseball? Were you a power hitter, contact hitter, base stealer? What was your What was your Con- game on the it, diamond? It was, it was contact hitter, but I loved defense. That That's where I wanted to play. Mm. I wanted to play in the field. You know, I wanted the ball to come to me. I wanted to catch it. I wanted to throw it. I wanted to prove that, you know, I can stop the ball. You know, I wasn't scared of the ball because when I first started playing, I was scared of the ball when I was younger. You know, but as I got older and, and enjoyed the game more, I, I just loved the defense. That's, that, that was the passion for me, defense. And was the old saying always true that with you being scared of the ball, when you were scared of it, is that when the ball always found you? Is that when it always would get hit? Yes. You? <laughs> right. Yo, you're like, please don't hit it over here. Please don't hit it over here. Here it comes. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's absolutely true. This is absolutely true. It never fails. It never fails. Never and Mr. Fails, Rodriguez, man. it is it's been a pleasure to talk with you to get your perspective on watching your son Chris Rodriguez Junior play for Kentucky. Uh the ups and downs through the season. Uh, the good games he's putting together, the Tennessee game, the Vandy game, and how the whole team is just – everybody knows the run is coming, and they're just grinding teams into the ground right now. Um, they are. Got one more – one more sort of against Louisville than the bowl game. It was just such a pleasure to hear how the game is viewed through your eyes when you have a, a son out there playing for the team, man. Can't thank you enough for coming on with us. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I really do appreciate it. Anytime, guys. We can talk it up anytime.
All right. I definitely have to get you on again for sure. We we definitely enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. It's Chris Rodriguez Sr., father of Chris Rodriguez Jr. And what? I mean, dude, just just the humble, not getting upset when, when Chris fumbled at the goal line first game of the season and didn't get the ball as much as I would have hoped. I thought they were like, man, work him back in sooner. Didn't phase either one of them, and now we see what Chris has been doing with this heavy dose of the run that everybody has been getting, from Bolton to Rose to Smoke to Chris Rodriguez. He is just as integral as, as all the rest of those guys, putting up huge numbers. Well, it, and it, you know, it's a great problem to have, though, right? You know, you, you, you're you defensive on the defensive side. You're chasing Lynn Bowden, and then you've got Rose, and then you've got Smoke. And then, you know, you work in Rodriguez, who is just going to run over you, right? You know, his 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 yeah. style, it's not, it's not shifty. It's not, you know, he's not elusive. But, you know, you think when he comes in and he starts getting those runs like he has done the last few games, you know, if that's your – if he's your third option as a running back, that's a pretty good running game, you know. And for everything that we as Kentucky fans, we've kind of looked at the quarterback situation. And, of course, losing Terry Wilson and Sawyer Smith's injury and Woods' injury, for uh, as kind of lacking as we've been in the quarterback position, we've been blessed in the running back position. And not just this year – but you look under Stoops' tenure, that's always been a focus. You know, generally speaking, we've always been able to go two or three quality running backs deep. When you when you look at what Stoops has done since he's been in Lexington, that's a that's that's what he wants. The defense is stout, and the running game has been there. Yeah, yeah, and like you mentioned, throughout Stoops' tenure, um. This year, you know, no different. But now you look going forward, Smoke and Rodriguez, I mean, those those two right there have the future looking really bright. Um, was it Tisdale scored a touchdown Saturday? Tyler Marcray, a walk-on, came in and, and got a 45-yard run. And like everybody, you know, with people checking the roster to even see who he was, so the running back position, like you said, is, has been and will continue to be in good hands. Uh, yeah, and, and that's, you know, when you can run the ball, and I know we're going to go into some detail about the football, uh, I mean, they're looking like a service academy out there. You know, a lot of the Louisville <laughs> media folks talking about, you know, they haven't completed a pass and, Yada yada yada. Lynn Bowden is still the leading receiver and hasn't caught a pass in September. Uh, I mean, you could, <laughs> it, it, you know, my whole thing is, yeah, you know, you can say that statistic, but then you're like, well, he moved to quarterback and we've been rushing the ball and we played in three monsoons, so <laughs> that <laughs> that's to be expected. Uh, but you know it's coming, and they haven't been able to stop it. I think one of the biggest things that you can, when this season is all said and done, and I hope it's two more wins, 
uh, it's been the wide receivers, the wide receivers and their commitment to blocking. You know, it's not like we're going in the wing T flex bone, you know, lineup. It's still a pretty standard uh, uh, formations that we're using, but the tight ends and the wide receivers, they, they've been the unsung heroes of kind of sacrificing, you know, nobody, you, you don't come to Kentucky in 2019 and think you're going to be a blocking wide receiver. Right. But they've all kind of bought in and, uh, those those running, those cutbacks and different things like that, it's because the receivers are blocking well and holding their blocks, you know. Uh, so I think that's part of the winning formula as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 845-277-9373 is the number to give us a call. We have Mr. Rodriguez on right off the bat. Got another guest coming up shortly. Uh, going to be giving Big Blue Drew a call. He is uh, contributes to a sea of blue. Uh, does the Cats by Ninety podcast? Is on the post game show with you from time to time on ESPN six eighty. So he is everywhere uh, at Rupp in the flesh, covering a lot of games on the radio, on the microphone. A lot of knowledge doing his thing. So we get to talk to uh, Big Blue Drew, which would be a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, lots more cats and cards. Um, the sad news that kind of put a damper on our joy for Duke getting beat with Nate Christina just when everybody was getting healthy. Get into that the rest of the way. Um I know you're strutting about your Niners. Can't tell you nothing as far as that goes. Uh, another fun matchup for them coming up uh, in their next ball game. So all kinds of fun stuff to get to. Let's take a quick little break to catch our breath. We'll have Big Blue Drew to dive on into a lot of UK sports talk with us on the other side. This is, of course, Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry T.B. Brown. At Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Don't hesitate to jump in and give us a call if you'd like. We'll be here till 8 o'clock having a lot of fun. So stay right with us. We'll be right back.
initially, I think they were saying three or four months, but then Cal tweeted out three or four weeks. So we're looking, if that's approximately four weeks, like you said, right at the end of December, uh, right when Louisville's coming to town, uh, would be possibly when he would be back to being cleared to play. Yeah, there's, you know, mixed timetables, which that's kind of concerning, too, because you know Cal will, he'll bill a check the answers a little bit. So it makes me nervous that reports <laughs> were out. But I also saw Kyle Tucker had a pretty uh, definitive report that, that his sources were saying that it would be sooner than later, you know, potentially just a few weeks. So, again, it'll it'll be kind of interesting to see just how Kentucky can step up and play. And they got some, you know, the meteor part of their non-conference schedule coming up. So it'll be interesting. Now, yeah. We all we, we all know the Evansville game and, and and how that went. Drew, what is your impression on how the team has has kind of regrouped after after that Evansville loss? What have you seen that's been encouraging uh, for the Big Blue Nation? Well, just my experience being around the guys, you know, pregame, postgame, they they always kept their their positive attitude, and I think a lot of that's reflective. Um, on Tyreek Maxey. I mean, every time I've been around him, no kid smiles more. He's upbeat. Um, so I think that's a good thing. It definitely in no way, in my opinion, has kind of hurt their swagger or their, you know, confidence in themselves. But, you know, another good thing, too, Terry and Vinny, is that if you really think about it, too, we've had so much time to digest this now. That same thing does happen every single year. They get tested early by a, pretty much a terrible team. And just in years past, the ball's bounced the right way, and they've won a close game, and that just didn't happen the other night. But think about it. I mean, if they do squeak that game out, just play a little bit better in the last two or three minutes, get a very ugly win, they're still the number one team in the country right now. So it's just perspective. Well, yeah, and I've said this before, is we, we remember the end result, but we don't remember how we got there. But if you go to mm-hmm. BigBlueHistory.net, which is fantastic, look at 2012. We were within like six to seven points of a terrible Old Dominion team. You know, and we remember John Wall's heroics against a pretty run-of-the-mill Miami of Ohio team. You know, if he doesn't hit that shot, you know, against, against uh, Miami, mm-hmm. that's a different result. But it, it – and I know we brought you on here, Drew. I'd like to get your thoughts about this. Like, we know this script, right? You know, we know that there's the big game to kick off the year, the Champions Classic, and we've won more of those than we've lost. And then we have these kind of, you know, run-of-the-mill teams. I won't say, you know, they don't feel great. They don't move the needle a little bit. We don't look great in them, you know, I, I, for the most part, they're kind of games we have to grind out to the last five minutes. But, but this is what we've we've seen this before, right? This should not be a shock to anyone that this is how the season's kind of progressing. Yeah, and in no way at all should any fan or anybody, for that matter, be expecting that loss to ultimately determine much come the spring because Cal has the algorithm. He knows what he's doing. Um, none of these injuries really even make you think that. And to your point, Terry, history should definitely make let you know that he's going to have them ready to play. But I also do think there's something to be said about these next, you know, four to six games, you know, while they're out without Nate and kind of still figuring things out. Because 
it changes things a little bit, man, if they just look terrible throughout this whole stretch, because then you start to thinking, you know, can this team ever become a Final Four championship type team? But I do expect them to play well. I really do. I think that it will give them a good chance. We've seen what they did when they were on the road under the bright lights in New York City. So I think those two games in Vegas will be ready. The second one's against Ohio State. So, you know, in theory, they'd have a little more time to get acclimated to the road trip. Um, but, again, it'll be, it'll be telling how they kind of play over these next four to six leading up to that Louisville game because I do think that's when you can kind of start, you know, making some more judgments about the long-term, you know, chances of this team to, like, win a title and stuff. We got Big Blue Drew on with us. You can check out his work at A Sea of Blue and listen to him on the Catch by 90 podcast. And, of course, the focus has been a lot more so on the bigs anyway because, you know, the depth, the lack thereof, I'm trying to get Blackshear back before the season even started, uh, Sustainer transfers in. Your thoughts first. You mentioned, Drew, EJ's got to jump in there, and he definitely does. And we remember Cal talking about him kind of still trying to get in shape to to be able to have that P.J. Washington sophomore-type season. Uh, He said, well, if it takes two months, well, it'll take two months. And, of course, we all remember EJ – I mean, P.J. losing, you know, 15, 18 pounds rather quickly last year. And this was before EJ was injured. So he is back in there. He's coming off an injury, might not be in the shape that he needs to be in or the staff wants him to be in. What do y'all see from him going forward now that he has to really jump in there without Nate being there? I've kind of always been high on EJ. I still am for the most part, but – Maybe, you know, not being in shape has something to do with it. He definitely don't need to lose no weight. We need to beef him up a little and get him where I guess what Cal's <laughs> saying is, um, uh, you know, that he can run up and down the court. And if I was EJ Montgomery or if I was the coach and I was telling him, if he didn't put the ball on the floor one time the whole game, that's fine. He needs to try to touch as many balls as he can offensively and defensively, rebounding, whatever, and just use his athleticism. I think he's a underrated finisher around the rim. He's a really good transition finisher for the most part. So he just needs to get in there and find his role. And I, I think that's what Kyle's saying is that, you know, he either doesn't have the stamina or the will to right now to sprint up right. and down the court and just f- fight to get balls in the paint on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, TV? Well, yeah, in, in the – and this has been my point when it comes to the EJs and to the, the, the Nick Richards, and we'll talk about him for a few minutes as well. But this is the normal progression that we should be seeing. Like we have been spoiled because not only have we done the one and done uh, under Cal, but a lot of these guys have shown up ready for prime time. You know, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns. I would even say that, uh, you know, a Brandon Knight, was ready to rock and roll from the get-go. But, you know, Drew, we're a little bit older than you are, but, you know, when I was in school, the junior year is when you made that leap, right? You kind of filled a role as a freshman, as a sophomore, but junior year you made that leap. Uh, you look at, like, the Tony Delks of the world, and, and even Mashburn had that really big leap from sophomore to junior year. And I'm not comparing these guys to, to those players, but I'm just saying 
we get so kind of hyped up on these guys as freshmen that if they struggle a little bit, we kind of sour on them. And for my money, EJ has shown some potential. And Nick, and I want to get your thoughts on that, Drew, has shown a lot of potential these first uh, five or six games. They can actually be pretty big contributors by the end of the year. Yeah, and you hit it on the the nail on the head if you ask me because I think it is different at Kentucky. Like, let's look at the, tra- the trajectory of Nick Richards' ca- career at Kentucky. Like, that freshman year, you know, if you really kind of start off slow, you don't, you're not picking things up. It can be hard to get out of that trap, man, because there's so many of us talking know-it-alls in every aspect, you know, coming down on the kid. And then think about last year. We're judging Nick Richards. He was playing behind Reed Travis and P.J. Washington, so his leash was just microscopic, and that didn't help much in his development. Now he's, I mean, he's the man in the paint, and I, I think what Nick is doing is what we just talked about with E.J. He just has the will and desire. He's playing like an animal down there to grab as many rebounds as possible on both ends and impact the game. He just needs to learn to do it or continue to do it. He's done a pretty good job without fouling. Well, and that's what I was going to say, too, is because we're center in the front court, Nick's not getting pulled. You know, uh, the other night, yep. I think it was the Friday night game, you know, he tried to put the ball on the floor, and, you know, that's not necessarily his <laughs> game. You know, in years past, he makes a mistake, Cal pulls him, yells at him, yeah. and Payne talks him up, and then he sits on the bench <laughs> for four or five minutes, stewing in his thoughts, right? But, you know, we play mm-hmm. basketball not at this level. We've all played basketball before. You've got to be able to make a mistake out there and figure it out. And, and Drew, like you said, he's not making those stupid fouls. Like, he is not, he's not uh, falling for that head fake. He's not leaving his feet. And then uh, Friday night's mm-hmm. game, post-game, Cal said he, he highlighted that play where Nick uh, Richards touched three different defenders and ended up, you know, getting a block on the play. Nick doesn't make that play last year or the year before that. You know, and somewhere along the line, he fouls somebody. But he's moving his feet. He's, he's doing things, and I hate this phrase, but uh, that doesn't show up in the box score, but the winning plays. And that's really what we need from these uh, bigs. Well, I don't know about you, Terry, but if, when I'm hooping, I need way more than a couple of mistakes because I'm out here, I'm trying to make plays, <laughs> turning it over. I shoot my my fair share of air balls, all that. So I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, I'm I'm definitely with you on that. Just as far as his you know mindset now, and I think he's playing a lot more confident. And it's kind of funny too because remember at the end of the Evansville game, everyone was so shook up when the kind of the last I won't say last play of the game, but late in the game they went to Nick Richards on the block when they needed a big bucket, and that don't sound so stupid anymore. No, no, and I said that, you know, post-game, I said, you know, if that's your play, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. But then it's like, well, he's been playing well. You can go get to, you know, you can go and and ask him to make that bucket. It's not quite like Marcus Lee against uh, IU a couple years, like, well, what play was that? So you're right. It does make sense, and Nick is working hard, and now he's going to reap those benefits. I think he's – it doesn't. He's not completely turned the corner, but he's he's really close. Uh, those mistakes that you all talked about, you know, Terry, like when he gets pulled, you know, last year, and uh, you could just see that he would get in his thoughts 
that would affect him for that game. And then he, next thing you know, he's in a funk for several games. I'm not saying he's not, you know, past having a couple more dud games this year, but I don't think he'll start stacking dud games. He might, you know, say he has a clunker Friday. Uh, he, I think he'll bounce back and, and do fine, but he's been more consistent now than we've seen ever. Uh, and I think it's still, and look, we, we all know the story. You'll start playing as a teenager. He was, you could just see him thinking everything, all that instinct stuff that we had, no matter how good or bad we are, just because we played since we could pick up a ball. He didn't have that, you know, used to get switched out on a guard, and, and the guard, you know he's going to create space and try to get a shot up, and the dude shoots and is already done with the shot, and then Nick would jump. And no chance of blocking it. You know, that reactionary stuff. You know, when he got hurt against Georgetown, he was closing out and, you know, came down on the shooter's foot. Usually it's the other way around. The shooter would come down on the defender's foot and, and get an ankle rolled mm-hmm. up. He's kind of polishing all of that up, and you just kind of see it clicking for him more so than it ever has. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Got to flip it to this football game that's taking place in, in Kroger Field Saturday. Uh, I see people tweeting out who's your favorite U of L media person to follow, the, the trolls, all that, all that stuff is going on. It's rivalry week. Uh, Kentucky is running, turning up yards on everybody. Uh, Louisville does not have a good run defense. You're feeling for how it's going to play out Saturday afternoon, Drew, as uh, we renew this rivalry again with Louisville. Well, we say the same thing every year, you know, or I do. We, You know, we try to dissect this game, but I'm a big believer that a rivalry game is a rivalry game. And unless it's last year when, you know, Kentucky just had a dominant team, we've seen that in years past with Louisville too. Um, I think the rivalry part of it's really going to play a big role, and I'm not sure how much statistics you can really apply to it is going to be my opinion. But, um, you know, something can be said about Louisville giving up a lot of points. But they also can make a lot of big plays, and I'd be concerned if Kentucky got down a few possessions early because we kind of know how their offense goes. I'm not sure how that will work. Um, lucky us, the weather's going to be trash again. I'm going to be on the field. Uh, and it, I mean, I think they're saying, like, torrential downpours all day, not just, you know, hit or miss rain. So that'll definitely play a factor. But, you know, these kids come out hype for this, man. If Louisville gets, you know, big hit early and snags some momentum, um, we know sometimes Kentucky's offense can get stagnant, even though it hasn't over the last few weeks. So, um, But I still think ultimately Louisville just can't stop anybody. So the way that Kentucky's defense has been this year, if they can score enough points, you know, if they get 28 points or more, I, I have, you know, confidence they'll win the game, especially with the weather looking like it is. So like you said, just we're a bunch of talking know-it-alls. So you say, we say it every year, we try to, predict what it is, but it is a rivalry game. But in the end, we still gave a prediction. You said <laughs> Kentucky can run uh, all over them because they can't stop anybody. <laughs> so that's, 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 that's how we do. You're right. exactly right, though. I'm not even trying to make fun. I'm just, that's, you know, it is a rivalry game. Throw the record books out. Uh, I think the stat was that Kentucky hadn't beaten Louisville at home since 2009, which is just crazy. Mm. Um, but yet, you know, we'll still try to formulate some kind of 
tangible prediction. I do believe that I heard that right, 20, 2009, because, you know, Lamar got us that a couple times, and, you know, uh, yeah, I think it was. It's been a decade since Kentucky won the home game in in this series, which is just it's ridiculous. Are you going to the game, Terry? No, I'm I'm not gonna uh, be there. I'll, I think I might be tinkering around at the studio helping with the post games. Uh, oh, right, right, right. Know. Okay. Yeah, but I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna be there. I was there last year. I threw my L's down. Um, That's right. But <laughs> that was iconic. That was iconic last year. You and Sean Smith. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and I agree with Drew. Like. When it comes to these rivalry games, again, I hate to speak in cliches, but sometimes they become cliches for a reason. Uh, you, you throw the records out, and this year we really don't know. You know, both teams have looked great. Both teams have looked not great this year. So we, we, we don't yeah. – we just, we just don't know what to say. Louisville has been lights out, but, you know, they got, you know, boat raced by Miami a couple of weeks ago, and Miami loses to – was it Florida? Is it Florida International? International. F I F I U. Yeah. So you. So you you just don't know. Uh, but to Drew's point, with the weather being like it is, and with Kentucky, and I don't know if we could look this up, but this is going to be what the fourth game where it's going to be just a torrential downpour. Is that right? I know it was rainy at Georgia, rainy for. Uh, was it Missouri? Arkansas. Arkansas, Arkansas was nice. Yeah. And and then yeah. yeah, and then last week was was a little was a little bad as well. So right. <laughs> half your half your games, our guys are probably used to the uh, the weather by now. So uh, and with it being at home, I'm going to give the cats the nod. Uh, but I you know I don't say that as definitively as I did last year, but. Uh, it should be it should be a good game. Well, you yeah. know, if there's two constants right now, it's the fact that Louisville has proven they can't stop anybody. They give up like 33 points a game. And Kentucky has proven mm-hmm. that they can pretty much stop anybody. So, I mean, if you're a Kentucky fan, you have to like, like that aspect because if there's any constants or, you know, major comparisons you could draw, so it's those two things. So hopefully that holds true again, and, you know, Louisville doesn't put up, you know, a great defensive performance. But they've given up, I think, over 40 points like seven times. You know, Wake Forest hung 59 points on them. Um, So that's encouraging, the fact that, you know, they've just proven to not be able to stop anybody at all the whole season. And Kentucky's up there nationally as far as, with the, the streak that they've gone without allowing 30 points is one of the tops in the nation, if not tops. And, like I said, the, the offense, the way they've ground out yardage, you know, eats up a lot of clock, which could potentially, hopefully, keep Louisville's offense off the field as well, which, you know, the two kind of go hand in hand. Tell everybody about your podcast. We know about Seeing Blue, but tell us about the Cats by 90 podcast that you do also, Drew. What do listeners get when they tune in and listen to y'all? Uh, so it's co-hosted by myself and uh, Aaron Gershon, who also worked with the Seeing Blue, and since he's taken over a lot of um, Curtis Birch's responsibility, 
at the Big Blue Insider with Dick Gabriel. So he's boots on the ground, man. He's a student at Lexington, super smart kid, um, you know, does his homework, brings all the press conference knowledge. We try to have guests every now and then. Um, we had uh, former Michigan State player Paul Davis on. Um, he Man, he played in the game. That's a really good one if you've never listened to the Cats by 90 podcast. Check out the one with Paul Davis. It's not too timely specific, but uh, he played in the Patrick Sparks three-point game and the record-breaking game at Ford Field at the time when they got like 80,000 people for the attendance record. So he had some really cool stories about Randolph Morris, Chuck Hayes, and just playing against Kentucky in general. And that, that was a big, strong dude, man. That's a blast from the past. I remember that dude. Man. Yeah. Just a, just a big old boy down in the paint. <laughs> sure. Yes, sir. He was good. He led the uh, NCAA tournament in rebounding in 2005, drafted by the Clippers. He's actually a good family friend of ours. Um, he grew up with my wife's brother and my brother-in-law, and they're like, you know, best friends. I've been in a wedding with him. So it was cool to have him jump on because, to be honest, I had forgotten that he had played in those games because, I mean, y'all dudes know the Patrick Sparks game. I mean, that's as legendary as it gets. Yeah, yeah. That, that was – yeah. <laughs> him yelling at Billy Packers was my all-time favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Jim Nance said something like, you know, Sparks was a little animated. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but definitely, I <laughs> And Billy's and Billy's hand, you know, Billy's hand was red because he was slapping the fire out of him and giving him five too. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, man, man, Drew. I hope your weekend goes good. Uh, I always enjoy hearing from you at the games on the po- um, the post game show on ESPN six eighty. Uh, everybody, check out the Cats by ninety podcast. You guys are doing your thing there, and. Glad it finally worked out for you to hop on here with us and bring some insight, man. It's, it's been fun chopping it up with you. I have to do it again sometime. Yes, man, I'm more than appreciated. Uh, wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week, and I say this a lot, man, but I'm genuinely, genuinely thankful for, you know, guys like you invite me on, you know, the opportunities I've had. I'll be taking pictures again at the Louisville-Kentucky game, and um, that's something I'll never take for granted, man, and I always like to say that, so – Go Cats, and um, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Absolutely, Drew. You take care, buddy. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir, Drew. Appreciate it, man. Big Blue Drew. Check him out at a Sea of Blue, Cats by 90 podcast, ESPN 680 with yourself and Jason Entz and James Strebel and Wu-Tang Dave, and I might be leaving somebody out, and I apologize. And... I'm slipping on who even sponsors it, or I would have mentioned that too. But ESPN 680, where TV is doing big things. You say you're about to do something with the, on the football side this coming weekend, possibly too, huh? Yeah, well, you know, thankfully uh, James Strebel is kind of the kind of the the the, the guy. <laughs> him and uh, him and Jason Ent uh, and and. Uh, They've kind of given me a – I had a discussion with them, given me a little bit more freedom to come on and, and, and kind of contribute uh, a little bit more. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Like Drew was saying, uh, the stuff that we're able to do, I, I don't take it for granted. I never would have thought in a million years, you know, you know, 10 years ago that 
you know, you and I would have this podcast and we'd be in Rupp Arena covering games. I'd be in Boise, Idaho covering games and, and you know, being on the sidelines for the Governor's Cup like I was last year. So, uh, you know, I'm very thankful uh, for that. Absolutely. You know, it's, when you – look, everybody's always – to some degree or other, looking forward to the next thing and moving on to the next thing when you finish something. But like you said, when you just stop and think about all the, the cool stuff you get to do, uh, be a part of, you know, just being in the press row and Rupp and Kroger Field to cover games. And then, you know, tournament games like you've done, uh, NCAA and SEC. And, uh, yeah, when you stop and actually think about it, you got it. You can't help but just be – Reflective and, and grateful for everything that's that's happened. It's really <laughs> it's unbelievable when you stop and think of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So thanks to for Drew to to come on and uh, and and talk it up uh, with us uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Big Blue Drew, see a Blue, Cats by ninety, and catch him on ESPN six eighty with all of the fellows on there as well. Um. You mentioned the Evansville game. We've all talked about it. As And like you mentioned, I, I think you said it on the post-game show, after – you, you were on after the Evansville game, right? You were on the ESPN Baby that night, right? I think you were. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were we were waiting. Yeah. You know, so I've been in the studio to watch the game, and, uh-huh. and, you know, I'm making my notes and everything. And then, like Drew said, you're waiting for – the cats to make that run and you know they they, they didn't and so uh uh-huh. had to get on right after that with some real time uh, analysis that uh yeah that was that was it was interesting it was interesting yeah and that's what i was thinking cuz i was listening that night and uh i believe you said well you know now because, you know, I think there was mobile fans texting in or, or tweeting y'all or there might have been either a few to call or whatever. You said, which was true, well, we're just going to have to take it. You know, we're going to have to take all of the trolling, all of the trash talk. You know, Kentucky loses, number one team in the nation, loses to Evansville. We're just going to have to take it. And we did. And now it's Duke's turn because Stephen F. Austin – went into Cameron Indoor Stadium as a bigger underdog than Evansville was when they came into Rupp Arena. And Duke said, you know, Kentucky hold our beer because we're about to lose to a team we had no business to losing to. Uh, And now, to quote your boy Steve Young, that, that monkey is off our back now. Well, and, and the thing is, okay, so, so Duke at home, all that stuff. They had 43 throws, uh, three throw attempts uh, last night in kind of typical Cameron Duke uh, fashion. But right now I'm watching uh, Can- <laughs> I'm watching the Valley Invitational <laughs> with Dayton and Kansas, and, and Kansas is number four, and, and, and Dayton is unranked, and Kansas is up three with 19 seconds left. So basically, this is the year, and, and, and this is what Kyle Tucker tweeted out last night. If you remember 2007 in college football, 
where it was topsy-turvy. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the point. Kentucky beat uh, LSU on LSU's way to the title. Um, but that was a year that every week, number one and number two, they were losing. You know, so <laughs> it was that year of absolute parity. You know, after LSU lost to Kentucky, I believe they also lost to Arkansas you know, that year on their way to the yeah. championship. So uh, this is going to be that year. I, I said this after uh, the Evansville game that uh, th- th- it's wide open. There's no great team. Every team in the top ten has had stretches where they have looked vulnerable, if not outright lost. So this is going to be the year of can the big blue, can the the blue bloods, can Kansas, can Duke, can Kentucky, can they improve? And mm-hmm. I'd like to think, which is typically the way I, I uh, we see things, that Kentucky always has a higher ceiling, right? That what you yeah. see in November, they are leaps and bounds better in February and March. That's typically the way it goes. Uh, like last year, you know, you get blown out by Duke by 50, 11 points. And at the end of the year, you, you reach the same round as Duke. So uh, the ceiling is always a little bit higher. Uh, and following up with the Nate Sestina injury, Kentucky hasn't been healthy. And people can make jokes saying, you know, EJ miss, missing – shouldn't be that big a deal, but it is. If you don't have the bodies to practice like you need to practice, uh, on top of that, Ashton Hagen, not 100%. Uh, he's just now coming back to his own. So there's just a lot of things to focus on uh, as, t- as we get ready. We kind of get ready for this uh, Christmas break. Uh, oh, my goodness. Dayton just hit a three with 2.1 seconds left. Nope. It's 73-73. Wow. So, again, uh, this is the year there's no great uh, – there's no great teams, no great – Dominant. No dominant uh, team, yeah. Yeah. So, this is going to be uh, – it's going to be wide open. I think we're going to go into the tournament uh, with – you know, could be – 10 or 12 teams that have a shot at it, right? Uh, I, I think that that's, that's fair to say. It's, it's going to be pretty pretty wide open. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, seed-wise upsets in the tournament. I just feel that this is the year that March really is, man. Yeah. I think I said it the week that you were uh, – I think you were out, the week you were out the first hour of the show – this team and every team has to play hard and give effort. Uh, can't just rely on being more talented and more athletic. But this team, to me, even more so. And Cal always talks about the transition, and you know we hear Rex Chapman talking about it too. The transition you have to make from high school to college. When you think you're playing hard, or you think you're working hard, to no, now you're working hard. Now you're playing hard. You think you're playing defense for an entire position. No, now you're playing defense for the full 30 seconds. 
every incoming freshman everywhere had to make that adjustment, especially the guys coming in at Kentucky. But this team in particular, maybe more so than any of Cal's other teams, will have to hang their hat on that effort, will have to hang that hat on being gritty, getting dirty, you know, rolling up your sleeves, toughness. Uh, they aren't insanely talented. It's a good class. Whitney and Brooks are good guys and got a lot of potential, good athletes. But depending on the depth at the bigs, you know, if there's foul trouble, now you got Nick Cassina out. Some of those guys are going to be playing out of position, be playing guys that are bigger and stronger. They're just going to have to dig in and, you know, hunker down, so to speak. Uh, so it's going to be effort. It's going to be toughness that they will really have to rely on, kind of clawing and scratching to do what they got to do to get it done this year. Yeah, so exactly. And uh, Cal said it after uh, – the Mount St. Mary's game in the post game Friday night, what got you here basically is not going to be what keeps you here. What you did in high school got you to this point, but you've got to, you've got to change some things. So for, for, for my money, I, I feel good. Cause last year, that Duke game, that dark cloud hung over the team pretty much until North Carolina. And they've answered the bell pretty well in a couple of games since Evansville that, that the loss hasn't lingered. Uh, now they can see with the Duke game, with all these other uh, uh, teams, you know, struggling against, you know, what you would – I wouldn't say inferior, but, you know, you would think on paper Kansas should beat Dayton. You would think Duke should beat Stephen F. Austin. So it's it, – it's, a, it's like Mr. Rodriguez said at the top of the show, it's that adversity that reveals who you are. You know, Chris Jr. fumbled, but it's how you come back from that. Like, okay, you got yeah. touched up by Evansville, but what are you going to do? And the game goes right. overtime. But uh, <laughs> so I feel good. Dayton is pretty good, good, though. Dayton is. They they've been rolling, I, right? I watched, and I think I watched a little bit of them. I think it was was it Georgia or uh, yeah, I think it was, I think it was Georgia. I forget, but that that big six nine dude is you know uh, they're they're looking good. It's early, but yeah, and they've been tough historically for years. I mean, remember Mike Pratt came on and told us about you know his city of Dayton, uh, you know back in the day and up through now. But yeah, they they're looking good this year too. Yeah, and, and and what we're seeing is a really it's a, it's a way more level playing field uh, than probably we have seen in college basketball in quite some time. Uh, guys don't have to go to blue bloods to get recognized. You don't even have to go to a traditional power uh, to get to get the, the the headlines and everything like that. So it's a, a different ball game uh, than probably you and I are used to. You know, being a little. Uh, now that we're getting a little bit older, it's not quite the way it was in the 90s. So we're going to be seeing more of that. And and honestly, you can look at UMBC against Virginia. <laughs> you know, once the 16 beat the one, that that was the last taboo in in college basketball. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 now these teams are showing up. 
not just thinking they can win. They know they can win. They're not just whistling dicks anymore. So these, these play-in games, you've, 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 got to, you've got to bring it. You, you really uh, you, you have to, to bring it. That's it. That's it. Um, definitely appreciate our guests this evening. They brought it and hadn't had a chance to just mention the sponsor, Smoky Mountain Trader, that always helps us bring it. We bring the show each and every week. Always appreciate them. 5063 Suite 1 West Andrew Johnson Highway, Morristown, Tennessee. They covered the entire tri-state area. I grew up in that tri-state area where Kentucky, Virginia, Tennessee all meet, and that's the area that they focus on. They take care of 12 counties here in Tennessee, southwest Virginia, Lee County, and then Bell County, Kentucky, which is southeastern Kentucky. Lynn Earls is the publisher there. He is from Millsboro, Bell County, huge U.K. fan just like we are. Give them a call at 423-587-1700. Classified needs, graphic needs, advertising needs, they are there for you. So tell them what you need, and they will tell you what they can do to take care of those needs. DSMTrader.com is the website, at Trader on Facebook and Twitter. Follow them on Twitter. Like the Facebook page, the Smoky Mountain Trader can take care of anything that you need. We definitely appreciate them. Um, and let's see what's going Oh, and of course, if you miss us, we can always have a podcast available wherever you get your podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM. The show replays every Saturday afternoon on 12 Ounce Sports Radio, so definitely appreciate that. Pulled up a little stat and got an email from Blog Talk just from all of the places that have taken time at different points in time throughout just this year, TV, to listen to us on this show. Um, since we've been on, there's been over 20,000 downloads and live listens and all that. Uh, but the countries this year that this show has been heard in at different points in time, of course, the United States, Canada, Spain, the Netherlands, Sweden, India, Brazil, Japan, Honduras, Anguilla, New Zealand, Germany, Kenya, France, Namibia, Czech Republic, Ukraine, North Macedonia, I didn't even know Macedonia was divided directionally like that, Switzerland, United Kingdom, Nigeria, Turkey, Australia, Italy, South Africa, Burkina Faso, Egypt, Mexico, and Argentina have had people download or listen live to this show this year. That is unbelievable, and we that thank all of them. worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, like you mentioned, just let what everything you've gotten to do over the past five, six years sink in. Then you just let that sink in for people who have taken in portions of our show. So appreciate everybody wherever you listen. Uh, we try to bring you a good show each and every week, and we'll continue uh, to do so. 
And we're going to get into some NFL, some NBA. You got your Lakers playing, New Orleans. AD goes back to New Orleans for the first time. Uh, we know how that reaction is going to be. But you teased something on Twitter last week. I think it was just a comment on how nice Rod Strickland, who was, of course, an assistant for Cal here at UK, how nice he was as a point guard. And you and I are old enough to remember all those years of him putting up numbers and not making it to the all-star team, you know, dropping assists and, and points and doing his thing for several different teams for a long career in the NBA with the Blazers and the Wizards and the Bullets and Spurs and, and tons of different teams. I think Brian Eldridge, our friend on Twitter for years, you know, said something about how, how tight his game was. And you teased the time that you bumped into Rod at a bar in Lexington. And so, you know, <laughs> we all been having our popcorn ready. We had our popcorn ready all week to see how that well, went. Well, you know, it's nothing too wild and crazy. Uh, I was in uh, Lexington for a game, and uh, we went out, uh, me and some friends went out to a, an establishment later, continued to party and whatnot, and uh, a few of the coaches came in. But uh, they they were not uh, consuming. But I was like, man, there's Rod Strickland, you know, and, I'd had a little bit of, little bit of cheer, and uh, so I walked up to him, and I said, "Man, you're Rod Strickland." This is, <laughs> you know, you get to that point where in your head you're like, "I am cool as cool can be," but then, uh, you know, in reality, it's not going how you think how you think it's going. He's like, "Yeah, yeah," I was like, "Man, you know, the Cats had won, I think," and. Uh, I was like, man, you're a great coach and everything. He's like, yeah. I was like, man, but you are a better player. I was like, you're underrated, Rod Strickland. And again, I kept saying both of his names over and over. <laughs> I said, man, I said, Rod Strickland, I'm going to buy you a drink. He said, no, I'm good. I said, all right, all right, Rod Strickland. I said, what is it with you and Wu Tang? Because, you know, for those of you that know that. Like, Rod Strickland gets a shout-out in a lot of Wu-Tang songs. You know, like four or five different songs, you know, they kind of work him in. And he said one of them, and I can't remember which one of the 30 members of Wu-Tang it is, was from the same area, same neighborhood he was from. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I was like, all right, Rod Strickland, we have a good night. <laughs> and I went down to my buddies, and then I'm walking, and I'm like, that did not go how I thought it was going to go. Like, that, <laughs> that did not go at all how I how I thought. So uh, you know nothing nothing too wild and crazy, but definitely uh, definitely a story. Yeah, and and look, it it could have went a lot worse. I was as you was going along, I was starting to get nervous, but it yeah it could have went worse, but yeah, wasn't the absolute worst. So that's good. That's good. Yeah, you can yeah, just that, that was that was that was my. That you was were my able to, yeah. You were able to leave just kind of kicking yourself, but it wasn't like he got angry or there was some kind of confrontation. So yeah, it could have no could have had alternate well, endings, and thankfully it didn't. <laughs> now my running with Tubby Smith was pretty funny as well. 
So <laughs> flashback to 1998, and uh, it was actually the like the Sunday. I think it was the Monday after beating Duke. So the Kentucky's getting ready to go to the Final Four. You know, uh, our buddy Cameron Mills shot. So I worked for inter, the intramural department, campus recreation, when I was in school, officiating intramurals and everything like that. But what we would do, different rec leagues around Lexington needed officials, so we would, you know, we were kind of farmed out to go and work and do these things. So I went to the Lexington Athletic Club, and it was a three-on-three uh, their club members, a three-on-three tournament. They had a little half court there. And my job, is they were calling their own foul. So as the official, all you had to do was make sure, since it was half court, they got the ball and they brought the ball back out. Not not mm-hmm. the toughest job at all. So we're there and I'm going, and I just hear this big round of applause and people are cheering. And here comes Tubby Smith. And, and David Hobbs, a lot of the coaching staff, they were coming to hang out or whatnot. I was like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. I'm going to go say hi to Tubby Smith. And, you know, the, there's a break in the action. I go into the uh, the locker room. I'm like, I'm going to catch him and say whatever. So I'm working my way through, and I'm getting ready to – I'm working through my head, like, what I'm going to say, try to play it off cool. And I turn, and Tubby's in the middle of, like, changing. Like, <laughs> putting on his workout clothes. <laughs> So I stop, and there's that awkward beat, and I'm like, I got to keep going. Like, I just I just kept going. Like, I'm not going to be able to recover from this this intro here. So, yeah. Uh, but then he came out later on. I said, good game, Coach, something like that. But, yeah, that was my run-in with, with Tuffy Smith. <laughs> I had a – I guess it was just a little encounter. I guess it was it was Joker Phillips. I think he was still he was still the offensive coordinator. I don't know if he was named coach and waiting yet, but it was after one of the bowl wins in Nashville. Um, because maybe I don't know if that's they beat Florida State. I think so because it was it was freezing for that game. I think the Clemson game, the weather was better. But they had beaten Florida State, and we all went over to uh, to B.B. King. You know, I think me and my dad were there. My sister made that trip. My wife went, and we were freezing. And it was packed. You know, had the loud music going. You waiting to get your food. Kentucky fans everywhere. You know, behind Nashville is anytime BBN is down there. But you just kind of looked her up, looked up, and just kind of saw Joker walking through, you know, waiting for a seat or just making rounds, you know, kind of talking with the fans, but kind of gave him a handshake and tried to, you know, do the little dap half hug, and he wasn't really having a half hug. But, you know, so I was like, oh, okay, all right. And just congratulated him on the win, and, you know, everybody's proud of him and all that. But, you know, he was <laughs> – he wasn't up for the whole the, the little bro hug, little bro hug. He wasn't really feeling that. I was like, okay, Joker, all right then. But uh, you know, just kind of moved on and left left him to go wherever he was trying to go and do what he was trying to do. But that was my little brief encounter with, with Joker Phillips. <laughs> 
I've had some good ones. You know, I've had I've had I've had magic on the resume and and, and different things and. I got a hug from Mike Anderson when he was coaching Arkansas. So, you know, I got a few, uh, a few pretty good runners. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, That's Mike it. Anderson. But I couldn't wait to hear it. That was, yeah, that was because he hates <laughs> Kentucky, man. He hates yeah. everything about you, Kate. And you up there getting a hug, which was, that would have to be. <laughs> it was my, it was, it was my first basketball game. And I was standing off to the side. I wasn't even trying to get a seat for the post-game press conference. And he keeps looking over at me. I'm thinking, oh, okay. And the guy next to me is like, do you know my game? I'm like, I don't – this is my first game. His first game in Rupp Arena. I don't know what you're talking about. So he gets done. He comes off the little <laughs> stage. And he comes over to give me the big old bro hug. And then about – he's a step away. And it's like, oh, you're you're not who I thought you were. Like, he uh-huh. hits him like I'm not that person, but he goes ahead, finishes a little hug, and goes on in. He had some clean uh, gator boots on. Let me just go ahead and say that. But everybody's like, mm. "Why? Why did Mike Anderson give you a hug?" I'm like, "I, I have no idea, but whatever." But <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> enough of our run-in. We still got some stuff to cover because you know I want to talk NBA. You know I want to talk some NFL. Yeah, go go right ahead, man. Because. Um... It's going better for you right now and all of that than it is for me. So. Well, NFL, you know, long-time <laughs> long 49ers fan. Um, they, the, the defense, it, Kentucky and, 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 and San Francisco are playing very similarly where they're, they're running the ball really, really well, and defensively they're getting after people. Uh, statistically, the worst game of Aaron Rodgers' career this past Sunday. Now, this coming up Sunday, it's San Francisco and uh, Baltimore. That's going to be lights out. We'll talk about uh, Lamar Jackson in a moment. Uh, but honestly, just a bad kick in overtime of being undefeated. And, and you know I've been cautious. As the wind started racking up, I said to myself, well, we got we to gotta wait and see. Uh, but this team, and they've dealt with a bunch of injuries, Kittle, his ankle hasn't been 100%. They've shuffled in. Guys, they just keep getting it done. You know, some games the offense is carrying. Uh, the other night it was the defense that was carrying uh, the team. So I, I feel really, really good. And, again, to speak, to, to speak in cliches, this could be a Super Bowl matchup. This could be a Super Bowl preview of uh, Baltimore and uh, San Francisco with the way Lamar Jackson is playing. And, and I don't want to give Lamar any credit at all because he's got that Louisville uh, stench on him. But uh, it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to deny how great he has been. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and I can even I I guess uh, separate the two. I mean, once you leave, you know. Like I, like I always tell the story about, you know, Jason Witt. As soon as he came to the Cowboys, you know, that, that Tennessee stench was, you know, I hated you while you were there because we couldn't stop you. And now that you're with the Cowboys, you know, great. Um, Lamar, man, <laughs> yeah. this is, this look, and I saw you tweeting and putting on Facebook about the you know, 49ers, you know, 
basically you were telling everybody just to eat it because, you know, y'all been talking <laughs> about wait till the Niners play a good team. Well, they played a good one in, in the Packers and, and ran them off the field. So y'all were kind of, you know, like, here, give us our validation. I saw you and Mike Jackson and Aaron Huff and, and all the Niner gang on there. Well, Baltimore has played a bunch of good teams already and, and, and already kind of went through that gauntlet to where everybody knows they're legit. You know, the defending champs played them and got beat in the Patriots. Now we got the defending NFC champs getting beat by 40 on their home field. They already beat Seattle, who's the only team to beat your Niners. Um, so, I mean, they've – the only thing, if I'm Harbaugh, I'm like, man, hopefully we're not peaking too soon. That's the only concern I got from a Baltimore standpoint. But – I mean, another big-time matchup between your Niners and and Baltimore. And, and I'm, I don't know if the announcers will say it, but was it 2015 they played in the Super Bowl? I hate when commentators will say, it's a rematch of the 2015 Super Bowl when the Ravens take on the Niners. And no, it's not because no. most of those no. players are gone. I, I hate when they yeah. say, oh, it's a rematch of the 95 World Series when the Braves are playing the Indians in Interleague. No, it's not. That's just the dumb thing that broadcasters <laughs> say. <laughs> it, it makes no sense. But it is going to be another good game with with your 49ers. As bad as I hate to give them credit, got to give them a ton of credit and got to give Lamar a ton of credit. I mean, that's his first Monday night game. Five touchdown passes. <laughs> You know, touchdown, 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 touchdown. You know, the the drive chart was insane, and that game was over in the second quarter. And, and let's talk about this for for just a second. Uh, when you look at the QBR rankings in the NFL, it's Lamar, it's Russell Wilson, it's Patrick Mahomes, right? Uh, it's I'm trying to think the exact order of this. Give me just a second. To do that, but my point is, they're all black quarterbacks. Your top five ranked quarterbacks right now using this QBR, and it's specific to Lamar. All the stuff we heard before the draft and right after the draft, and and all that kind of stuff. The usual kinds of of things that your dad and my dad talked about. It's the reason Warren Moon had to go to Canada. You know, it's the reason uh, I think it was Tony Dungy that might have been a quarterback for a little bit at Minnesota, and then he had to move. You know, we're finally seeing some some consistency, some give these guys the opportunity, and you see what we can, and I'm saying we, and you see what the, the black quarterbacks can do. So I, I tip my hat. Hopefully what this season will kind of put a, a damper on some of that talk. Uh, that we see, uh, you know, when, you know, Jalen Hurts and some of these guys in college right now. So I'm hoping that this will finally be the the end of all that. Yeah, and the completion percentage used to get just thrown out at nauseum as a detraction for people that are paid away for these guys, you know, for a, a Michael Vick or uh, – I mean, you know, Vince Evans, if you want to go way back in the day, you know, Doug, that was the, 
Oh, well, you're not completing 60% of your passes. Oh, oh no, 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 no. See there, that's all nice and great, that dual threat stuff, but your completion percentage, it was, you know it, it was beaten to death, uh, and that's even kind of, you know, overcome that as well. And, and, and here is the, the, the takeaway to that is you've got a – if you get a, a, a coach, an offensive coordinator that Lamar has, and you know who his offensive coordinator is? Greg oh, Roman, who was the offensive coordinator yeah. for the 49ers when Kaepernick uh, was <laughs> doing his thing in San Francisco. And I'm not going to get into the Kaepernick situation. I've been pretty vocal on my thoughts about it. But when Kaepernick was at his best, Greg Roman tailored the offense for that. And what we have rarely have ever seen with these mobile quarterbacks before is they were square pegs trying to go into round holes, and it didn't work. Asking Michael Vick to do a three-step, five-step drop and stay in the pocket didn't work. You know, so now we're seeing different things uh, with Lamar, kind of that, uh, Kaepernick 2.0, if you will. So they're taking advantage of the skill set of these guys have. It ta- it's going to take a, a little bit of imagination to get it to get it going. And the one thing about Lamar, I never really figured out. People, well, you know, wh- is he a runner? He had to run because Louisville's offensive line was not very good his his last two years. He was running for his life. <laughs> He had to throw for 300 mm-hmm. yards and wrote, run for 100. He had to. You know, uh, the, the couple years ago, three years ago, when he fumbled against Kentucky. Yeah, he, he, had, he had to do those things to keep Louisville competitive. Uh, so you right. go into a situation now where people are taking advantages of your skill set. Uh, that's fantastic. And we see, look, uh, your QBR rankings are like this. Lamar. Uh, Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, your your guy, Dak Prescott, uh, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. So your top five quarterbacks by this QBR metric are African Americans, and that's that's great. Uh, but not only because they're 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 shining and all this. Uh, what a lot of us it, it the true kind of equality is. Let these guys stink up the joint a little bit too, right? Let's, you know, that's that's part of mm-hmm. it. Like, if Lamar struggled a little bit, still give him that opportunity. And and Bomani Jones had Joel Anderson on his podcast a couple years ago, or a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, talking about that's the true mark. Like when Tebow, the question was whether or not he could be a quarterback. He was still just afforded that opportunity to fail and that's part of it as well so uh not to get right. too socio-political uh but i'm i'm glad to see lamar uh glad to see him uh excelling as well as all the other quarterbacks because the thing is tom brady is going to retire at some point drew Brees is going to retire at some point aaron Rodgers is going to retire at some point we've probably seen the last of big Ben. Maybe Eli's probably done, and and you and I know that with the NFL becoming a quarterback league, there's going to be a, a turnover, a new face of the league, and it's going to be these guys. It's going to be those five guys that I just talked about that are going to be kind of the leaders to that next that next generation 
of uh, of the NFL for the next to start off the next 100 years. Has Lamar wrapped up the MVP already? Is it is it is it over? Like Vince Carter after the dunk contest, is it over, or is there still you know basically all those other guys that you mentioned? Do they have a chance of still overtaking Lamar? So uh, he is you know comes back to earth against your Niners or something like that, or, or is it over already? Well, it, I, I think I think it's. It's over unless there's a huge drop off uh, because there's 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 no one else kind of on that level right now. Here's my frustration with the MVP talk and and the Heisman Trophy talk. Both of those awards, NFL MVP and the Collegiate Heisman Trophy, they've just become quarterback awards. Uh, you can go back uh, looking at the Heisman. Of the last 20, I think four have gone to running backs. And when you look at the uh, NFL MVP, you got to go way back. There's been like three uh, running back uh, MVPs over the last 20, 25 years. It's just become whatever quarterback is is doing the best, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But we've seen a lot of guys like this year, Chase Young, uh, defensive guy for Ohio State. Yeah. The eye test is he's the mm-hmm. best player in college football, but he's not gonna. He may not even make it to uh, New York. And yeah. you know, if if you want to award quarterbacks, that's fine. That's why I'm. I, I really liked how baseball has it. You've got your Cy Young, you've got your Silver Slugger, and then you have your your MVP. I think that's gonna be the mindset we might have to look at going forward. Uh, when you look at defensive people are completely shut out. And it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, you know, Charles Woodson had to play a little bit of offense to win the Heisman to kind of steal it from uh, Peyton Manning in 97. And you know the last defensive MVP in the NFL? Oh, wow. Uh, defensive MVP. Oh, did Ray Lewis get yeah. one? No. Got to go farther back than that. Defensive. Well, oh, I'm best defensive player of the year. I don't know. The last defensive player to be an NFL MVP was Lawrence Taylor LP? in 1986. LP? Wow. And the, before that, there was, I forget, it, somebody in the 60s. I can't remember. But there have been defensive players that have had great, great years, but we fall in love with quarterbacks, and we don't recognize that. So that's my little soapbox about those awards. But as it's constructed, I think it's Lamar's to lose. Even if he goes out and has a clunker game against San Francisco, which selfishly I hope he does, uh, I don't know <laughs> who would <laughs> – I don't know who you would elevate, you know, it, uh, it's not like some years where it's neck and neck, and you're like, okay, if this guy stumbles, the other, this other person is the de facto favorite. Uh, there's there's just a vacuum of guys uh, at the top that are doing what Lamar has done. So as it's constructed, I think he's going to end up uh, with the MVP, and, and and good for him. Like Eric Whittle for the Rams, you. Play for the Chargers, 
used to play for Baltimore, the, the safety for the Rams. And man, after the game, he's, you know, like what are you, he was basically like incredulous. What do y'all want us to do? We can't simulate him in practice. What what are we supposed to do? Lamar's the fastest guy on the field, and he said, "This is a this is a professional NFL vet, coached by Wade Phillips, you know, legendary defensive coordinator. You know, him and Romeo Cornell, you know, been coordinating for forty years, and he said there was half the time that the Rams didn't even know who had the ball for Baltimore. Didn't know." Where to go, what to do, no idea how to slow them down Monday night. And these are NFL veterans. The Seattle dude, Bobby Wagner, one of those linebackers, said Lamar is one of one. There is there is not another one like him. And and these guys are freak athletes themselves giving up this praise. <laughs> so that, I mean, when they're just that open and honest about it, they're that impressed. That kind of tells you all you need to know about what Lamar is doing right now. Yeah, and, and it's amazing. It, well, you know, what if the league figures him out? What if they don't? I mean, what <laughs> if they absolutely don't? You know, it's that same thing of, you know, every year we kind of get the, the, the Patriots and Tom Brady, they lose and they get written off and then they end up winning the Super Bowl. You know, mm. What if they don't? You know, sometimes people come into baseball, come into whatever it is, and what if you don't figure them out? You know, what if he's 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 that next ele- uh, evolution a, a player? Then mm. you have to deal with. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the thing too. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's, very, it's very much like Tom Brady. You know, Drew Brees got hurt. He got himself into the starting lineup, and that was it. Like, this, this is my job. Yeah. And, and that was the going back to what I said earlier with the coaching staff really supporting these guys, supporting Lamar, and and tailoring the offense to him. They they bought in. You know, the Ravens said, "Hey, this is going to be our guy." They did that last year. When it probably didn't make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because what he is doing, and this is going to be enough praise for a former Cardinal, you know that I'm a girl. <laughs> is, he's, he's got that Barry Sanders ability to be running full speed, spin, and not slow down. His starts mm-hmm. and stops. You know he's not taking any real big hits. That's been the one thing that you can talk about a a running quarterback is you don't want somebody to take those big hits and he may not take a solid hit. You know, Cam uh, Newton, he was just bigger and stronger, you know, not really elusive, Uh, you know, maybe make one guy miss, but he wasn't just darting back and forth across the field. That's what catches Mm -hmm. up with the, the mobile quarterback. So I think as Lamar progresses, uh, into more of a conventional pocket passer, but until then, hey, have fun, young fellow. <laughs> Your Lakers are having fun, and you know, speaking of giving more credit where we don't want to give credit, or I don't, but have to. Uh, we all know what's going to happen in this 
Movie King Center when Anthony Davis makes his first trip back. Uh, they, of course, would have loved to have Zion there to greet him and go up against him, but the Lakers are despised anyway. They're polarizing. You love them or hate them. Uh, uh, a lot of people don't like them, and that was going to be the case anyway going into New Orleans. But now Anthony Davis is coming back for his first game there since it ended so badly there for him as a player for that team. Uh, they're going to be chomping at the bit to get their booze in and, and say what they want to say and, and have some vitriol for him, kind of like KD when he went back to OKC for the first time. Well, uh, a couple of things to unpack. Yes, the Lakers still at the top of the – still at the top of the standings. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you, you, you know I had to, to, to get that in. But uh, Le- LeBron has – has totally changed how he's playing in year 17. That's remarkable. Uh, it's, it's insane. And at 15 and two, and again, they haven't had the toughest schedule, uh, but you have to win those games in front of you. Uh, you have to win, get wins when you can, because you know, it's going to come down to, uh, a couple of games separating the top three or four teams in the West. So you got to get the W's where you can. Uh, I'm a happy camper. This this is Lakers basketball. You get you two of the top five players in the league. You get you some good, really good uh, role players, and they do. And you win a lot of basketball games, Right. You know, you, you look at Shaq and Kobe, uh, you know, Rick Fox, solid. You know, Glenn Rice was on. You know, you look at those kind of role players, Derek Fisher, guys that, that know how to, you know, that know how to play. And Danny Green has been around the league for a while. He knows he knows how to play, how to win. He's on the Raptors last year. So this is what the Lakers do. You know, you get Magic and Kareem, and, and you throw in James Worthy, Byron Scott, Michael Cooper, those guys. This is what they do, right? You get Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, and you throw in a Gail Goodrich. This is, this is what the Lakers have been doing for 100 years. And I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's, it's a, lot to, a lot to like. Uh, Frank Vogt was just rolling the balls out, right? Basically, you know, just him and well, the kid over there chilling. And <laughs> but the, 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 thing, the, the thing that I really like, to be honest with you, and I know, uh, is they're really good defensively. I think they're the top two or three. They're up there defensively, and that's where, again, you know, defense wins championships. But LeBron has been engaged uh, for, for my money, and I think I might have said this over the uh, summer uh, on the show, is he's heard Kawhi is now the best player in the league. And, no, it's Durant, but Durant's hurt and all this kind of stuff. And LeBron, look, it's year 17. He's got more years behind than in front. And he knows, uh, again, he's not playing just against 
you know, the 2019-20 season. He, he's playing for historical stuff. And if he's able to get one or two titles in L.A. for the Lakers, again, I don't think that make, does anything for the Jordan-LeBron debate. Those camps are just as entrenched as they can be. But I think for him, his case becomes a little bit more solid with a couple more titles, especially for the Lakers franchise. Uh, you know, and I, I think that's part of it. It's just funny. <laughs> you know, the Lakers sitting at 15-2, and two, best league, uh, record in the league. You remember last year, uh, LeBron was playing pretty good, and then he got injured. He just wanted to go to L.A. because of his movie career. And he's just doing this for all the off-the-court stuff. Well, all of a sudden, the on-the-court looks pretty good. And then it was, oh, the Lakers gave up too much for Anthony Davis. Look, if you've got the opportunity to go get an elite player, a top-five player in the league, you do it. Like, you just do it. Because in basketball, one guy can absolutely make a difference. You know, being a Lakers fan, I don't know who they gave up to get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Don't know. Doesn't make any difference. Who they, whoever they sent to Milwaukee, that's fine. Whoever they sent to Philadelphia for Wilt Chamberlain, that's fine. You know, you know to, to get Kobe's draft rights, I believe they traded Vadi Divac to the Clippers or to the, to the, uh, to the Hornets. Okay. Yeah. That, you know, you, you look, <laughs> and, and, and Brandon Ingram was going to be great, but he's not Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Lakers fan, it's like, you know, you're a fan of the Cowboys. It's not – you can't just – they don't have the luxury of, of, of long-term planning, right? For whatever you want to say bad or evil against Jerry Jones, he's never like, all right, we're going to tank for whoever. That's not what you right. do. Like, you know, okay, the Cowboys are 8-8, eight eight, but – at least Jerry Jones is making some moves because it's always win now. So with the Lakers and that young core, okay, it was great for a couple of years. We got LeBron. Okay, you know, the young guy. Oh, we can get Anthony Davis? Yeah, go get him. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> go get Anthony Davis. <laughs> you know, that's a no-brainer. That's a, that's a yeah. So um, – so I'm excited. Again, it's early. It's just uh, barely a quarter of the way through the season. There's still going to be a lot more matchups with the Clippers, and and uh, we've got to go against uh, your Rockets a few times. And, it, you know, it's not going to be easy. But if I'm going to battle in the playoffs with LeBron healthy, AD healthy, you keep your fingers crossed, I like that. Uh, because you need, you need a yeah. one-two punch. And, and the thing is, keep in mind, you've had to have a one-two punch to win a title, right? You had to have had – that's just an NBA truitude, right? You know, you're, you're rocking. And I think – was it Akeem's birthday the other day? Is that what – because I saw some videos on social media about Akeem, who I think is criminally underrated for his skill set as a big man. Uh, but Akeem – Kenny yeah. Smith was tremendous, you know, he was tremendous for those teams, uh, for the inside out uh, of, of, of what the, the Rockets are doing. So you've got to have two really, really good players 
uh, to win championships. That's that's what you have to do. That's it. Um, Jim, I'm just waiting for the – the, the Lakers just need to have just a little adversity. It, it's never hurt anybody. Houston hit a little rough patch, you know, lost at Denver, had the Clippers beat and gave that one away, and then for some reason they always – Kind of have struggles against the Mavericks. Uh, Luca was able to do his thing, but yeah, you know the Lakers need a, a good, tough Utah, Denver, um, Clippers swing the games where they drop, you know, two out of three, and you know get some consternation. You know, it's it's, it's just too smooth sailing right now. They need to hit a little turbulence on their flight. That'll make everybody outside of Lake and Land feel better. That's just, you know, like you selfishly want Lamar to struggle, you know, against the Niners. <laughs> selfishly wanting a, a few losses in a row, you know, a, it, a little slump to hit the Lakers. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and and here's the thing, right now for the Lakers, uh, LeBron's averaging 25.6 points a game. Uh, Anthony Davis is averaging 25.1. Then you got Kyle Kuzma's averaging 10. And then you've got four guys right at averaging 10 points a game. Bradley, Rondo, Green, and KCP. That's how you get it done. That's how you do that, right, is is you're you're spreading the wealth. You've got your two workforces. You've got enough for everybody to, to, to eat. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. And the dude from Texas A&M with the receding hairline, you know, we just saw him. Caruso will come in there and catch people slipping, you know, dunking on people or, or hitting threes when he gets his yes. little minutes too. You know, he's even balling too. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and yeah, and that's the that's what I like about this. Is, and, and I saw, I don't know if you saw me tweet this out. It was from a Warriors fan basically saying, Oh, you know, even though the Warriors are terrible this year, everybody still we're living rent free in people's heads. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, in 2014, you know, nobody even knew that Golden State had a team. So why don't you settle down a little bit before you start talking about living rent free in people's heads? People have been crapping on the Lakers for 10 years, and look at the Lakers resume. So settle down a little bit. Uh, to me, it's all about balance, bringing balance to the force. I still feel uh, that I might get my Super Bowl Final Four uh, NBA Finals package all together. I'm feeling pretty good about that. You know, that's, that is fun. And, it's yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, it's fun when it happens like that, for sure. Um, I'm just, you know. Need the Cowboys to win a game against a good team. That's where I'm at. You know, got Buffalo. You're 0 and 4 against good teams. 6 and 1 against bad teams. You lose to the Patriots. You lose to the Vikings. Get uh, the other good team they lost to, and now you get another shot against the Bills. <clears throat> you know, play every Thursday on Thanksgiving. We'll see. See how they do. You know, Amari 
Amari Cooper coming off a game with no catches. Um, and Buffalo has another top-notch corner who's, of course, going to be sticking to him like glue as well. The tripping calls were crazy. They didn't lose them the game, but they were <laughs> sketchy, as the kids say. And kicking that field goal down there, down seven, down 13 to six, when you hadn't done much offensively all day, you know, say what you want about the Eagles. Doug Peterson is, you know, aggressive, and he goes for it. And uh, I'll trust my defense if it doesn't work out. And, you know, Jason Garrett, ultra-conservative, kind of frustrating. And, look, just just do something different. Show some emotion. This is what people say when a team isn't winning. Get fiery, get angry. Be a true redhead on the sidelines. (laughs) Instead of just over there clapping. That's that's what happens when when teams aren't winning. That's what happened to Tennessee fans. Still former, all he does is stand there and clap and look around. That's because they wasn't winning. You start nitpicking all that stuff. When the team isn't winning. So that's where everybody is with, with Jason Garrett. But you know, we'll see what to do against Buffalo. Because um, the Eagles' schedule is about to get real easy. So they can easily leapfrog Dallas in the division if the Cowboys aren't careful. So uh, It's that time of year. You're in the playoffs. You're in the hunt. You're the wild card. They always put all those graphics up. We're already at that point, And we'll see who does what with where they are and what they got to work with for the rest of the season. Are, are you pro-keeping Garrett, or you think that they, they've got to make a move? I saw a report that maybe Urban Meyer was getting involved. What, do you, what are you thinking about that? I'm kind of – I don't – I don't – I wouldn't really be that thrilled about Urban's uh, – just because, I mean, we know what he's going to do. He's going to not stay long and, and then got to, you know, have an ulcer or something and have to leave. Garrett, that was called a report that if he moved on from Dallas, might go to the Giants. The Giants maybe appear desirable to him. Uh, I'm like, y'all can have it. We've seen his body work after 10 years. They put the graphic up of all the coaches, the longest tenured coaches. And, of course, you had Belichick, 19 seasons, I think 31 playoff wins, six Super Bowls. Uh, Mike Tomlin was up there. He's got a Super Bowl win, got a handful of playoff wins. Uh, Who else was up there? Was it Pete Carroll? But it was a bunch of coaches, all with – Lots of playoff wins and at least one Super Bowl, and then you got Jason Garrett. So the whole, the whole Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other. Jason Garrett and his two playoff wins, three playoff wins in ten years because he got there in two thousand and ten. And I, I kind of got an article about that that I'm about to formulate with with Cal's tenure and Jason Garrett's tenure. We've seen his body of work, and you've only won a couple playoff games in that span. You know, Bill, Bill, Bill Parcells, you, you are what you are. We've banged our head and done the same thing over and over and not gotten different results. So we're kind of 
definition of an insanity mode right now, in my opinion. Uh, I think it was blogging with the boys that said it's kind of scary to think that Jason Gary could go to another franchise and have success, and the Cowboys could potentially not improve. And that's possible. Say Garrett moves on, and whoever comes in doesn't maximize the talent. But who's to say Garrett's ever going to get him over the hump? He's been there a decade. We, I think we've kind of seen enough of what he's about. So uh, I think moving on to somebody else is a risk worth taking, even if they don't get the job done. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm yeah, yeah, at some point you got to just say, okay, and you you have to make that move. And we've seen it not work. We've seen it work. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you think, uh, you know, Doug Collins, long, he was a you know, long-time coach of the Bulls, couldn't beat mm-hmm. uh, Detroit, uh, the Pistons, yeah. and Phil Jackson comes in, and boom. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, you, they rattle off all the championships and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it just takes a different approach, even with the personnel. You know, and talking to Mr. Rodriguez at the top of the show about, uh, you know, these coaching changes, it's a whole lot easier to fire a coach. You know, you you can't, you know, you're not going to try to move, if you're uh, Jerry Jones, you're not going to try to move Dak, you're not going to try to move Zeke, you're not going to try to, you've done enough roster tweaking. Fortunately, you got to just say, hey, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And to sit here and and try to fathom that Garrett has been around this long and been this mediocre, even it's, though Jerry the, claims to want to win. I mean, look, you, look, he broke Tom Landry off. As soon as the ink wasn't even drawn the check and Tom Landry was gone. And now we let this guy hang around for a decade with two playoff wins? <laughs> it doesn't add up to me. It, it, it's the Jeff Fisher special, though, right? It's the Jeff Fisher, like, how did – but even but even thing is, Jeff Fisher went to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but right but, now it's like, I don't know. And I'm not going to try to throw shade. At, at, at the Cowboys, but uh, 10 years just seems like a long time for what the on-the-field performance has been. That's just my two cents. And we ain't even talking about – forget the Super Bowl. We're not even talking about the Final Four of the NFL. We didn't make it to an NFC title game. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, you know, that's still a goal of his that he hasn't has a, a taint. So, right. People fussing at Cal for getting all these Final Fours, and and he even says he should have another title, but he's getting to all these Final Fours, and, and you're there on the final weekend. Garrett ain't sniffed the NFC Championship game in 10 yeah. years. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad America's team and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I had, I guess, you know, with the NFL Network been doing these all-time teams. They did the running backs the other day. A couple old guys, Van Buren and uh, Dutch, I forget his name. But then all the guys that we, of course, are accustomed to, you know, Jim Brown, Walter Payton, 
Emmitt Smith, Barry Sanders, O.J. Simpson, um, but uh, Eric Dickerson, uh, I'm missing a few. But just on the outside looking in, there was no Marshall Falk, no LaDainian Thomason, no Adrian Peterson. There's only 12 spots, but there was a lot of uproar that that uh, LT and Marshall and, and AP weren't on that list. Is there anybody that you boot to put them on, or do you just leave the list like it was? I mean, well, you can't, and and this is when when you do these all time lists, right? What happens is there's a lot of recency bias, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of guys that have you know played in the last ten to fifteen years or so, because that's who we see, that's who we've got great film of, you know. Even you know Barry Sanders, we have seen his highlight package, right? So you mm-hmm. can't if you're making the list, you can't just like you, you knew Jim Brown was a, was on there. Jim Brown and Walter Payton. Okay, those are your two givens, right? But I and and I've had these conversations with people. It's not necessarily the guys that set the record. It's not necessarily the guys that that have won the Super Bowls. It's like okay, we the, the NFL is a hundred years old. How do we tell that story? And so. I think you have to put those old timers on there. Uh, you have to make sure there's representation, and you have to kind of say, okay, who was the 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 goat? Kind of almost every decade, and you look at Jim Brown in the '60s. You look at Walter Payton '70s into the '80s. You look at Barry Sanders and Emmitt Smith those late '80s to early '90s. You you get that O.J. Simpson of the '70s. No matter what you think of OJ and all that, he was a decent football yeah. player, so he's on there. So I have no problem with with okay saying okay. And Marshall Falk, I thought, was a pretty big omission, simply because of his versatility. A thousand mm-hmm. yards rushing, a thousand yards receiving. The the one running back you could split out wide, right? Uh, and, yeah. and could do just about everything. You know, he was. He was a, a a running back, a tight end, a split end, a wide receiver. He did a little bit. So that would be the one I would say add him uh, because of his versatility. But I don't know if there's somebody you would say doesn't belong. You know, maybe you swap him out for an Eric Dickerson. Uh, but but you know, I think <laughs> Eric Dickerson is on there. I, you know, may, and that's and that's tough. Like I don't know who you say doesn't belong. Yeah, uh, you know, I saw somebody talking about that, it, and somebody said you take Barry Sanders off, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, what? You don't, you don't take Barry Sanders off because now tell the story all the time. There was that Barry Sanders life in football, whatever, and the offensive lineman for the line was like, the off their blocking scheme, they they would not account for defenders. Like they would just say, that's Barry's guy. Barry will make him miss. What? Are you are you kidding me? What? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many offensive lines you know for these running backs just said we're not worried about the you know the Mike linebacker on this play because Barry will make a miss. What? <laughs> so <laughs> I mean that to me that's insane. So uh, I don't know who you take off, and you can't have 
30 running backs on the team. So I, I'm okay with it. it, it, it it's going to be interesting as these other positions start to, to come out, you know, for, for my money, it's going to be the biggest fight is going to be the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's going to be the, cause I, I think you, you got for your quarterbacks, just off the top of my head, you've got to have Otto Graham, right? You've got to have, uh, Johnny Unitas, you've got to have uh, Joe Montana, and you got to have Tom Brady. Now, that's four of maybe the 12 slots, and, you know, Peyton Manning, you know, probably. Uh, it's going to get tricky, mm-hmm. and you may very well see, like, a Brett Favre not make the cut. Ooh. Just Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, you know, the Terry Bradshaws and Dan Marinos and, and, and those kinds of folks. Right, right. So, yeah, so <laughs> that's going to be interesting when that comes out. Uh, my friend, uh, uh, I had a friend text me and say, are you worried about Jerry making the list? And I was like, look, if Jerry Rice doesn't make the receiver's <laughs> list, I'm driving to NFL headquarters. I'm kicking in the door. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. <laughs> the Jerry doesn't I mean, make the, the list. <laughs> it is going to only get tougher because this running backs. I mean, Tony Dorsett didn't make it. Marcus Allen didn't make it. Adrian Peterson didn't make it. And as much as we are about recency bias, I mean, with Daniel Tomlinson, no 21st century back made it. Uh, right, right. I don't, and, and, yeah. And, so, so from that standpoint, they they kind of they kind of snubbed the newer recent guys. Yeah, like, and, you know. and you know, and I get that, and you know, this uh, kind of tags on to. When you're just looking at numbers, I mean, Frank Gore is now the third all-time leading rusher in NFL history. Yes, Eastern. man. Oh, my goodness. Which, when you look at Go ahead. Give him love. Nine, and and <laughs> he gave the franchise everything he had. I thought mm-hmm. I thought he was done. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was done when he left San Francisco. But he is still plugging mm-hmm. along and – I don't think, you know, he's not going to be your top 20. He's not going to be your top 20 when you talk about running backs. But what's going to happen is he is just like, I think, you those those guys that just grind it out and get to 3,000 hits. Like you would never, like yeah. like, like an Eddie Murray, right, where you're like, you, you, mm-hmm. you're not going to, you may not tell your kids about this play or that play. He was never maybe the best in the league, but, there's something to be said for just grinding it out mm-hmm. and just do that. I don't remember. I don't remember a signature run of Frank Gore's, and I was trying to think when I saw that, you know, that he passed Barry, which is funny that, they, you know, they said he idolized Barry Sanders, and it's completely opposite of Barry as you ever want to be as Frank Gore. But they said that, you know, I, I can't remember a signature play, even in his prime or anything, and I'm fine with that. You know, people trying to give him shade and all this for, you know, being third and and, and kind of trying to hate on it. No way. You know, you you get member respect 
from me for accomplishing that. Uh, like you said, durability, longevity, all of those things that it's, went into that. Like you said, he he was shot when he left San Francisco, in your opinion, and look what he's done uh, in the years since then. So I had no problem and, with it. And, you know, he deserves a lot of praise. And probably the best between-the-tackles runner in NFL history. Because I'd be surprised if his longest if his longest rush was more than fifty yards. Like he just that was not his game. But between the tackles, right. the big back, he had really quick feet, and he played on really terrible Forty ers teams. That's one reason yeah. of many that I wanted to win the, that Super Bowl because Gore deserved it. I mean, he he was a workhorse when the team was not good. That transition period, yeah. you know, between the Jeff Garcia years to the you know the Harbaugh uh, uh, years, he was the only bright spot. You know, when they were four and five win team, it was just it was Frank Gore, buddy. It it, it just was. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see as those all time NFL lists come out, kind of where they uh, where they start slotting guys. I know they're not ranking the twelve, just making the list, but I'm telling you, quarterbacks. There's going to be some surprises. You're going to be like, okay, I'm shocked that guy didn't make it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Because the ones you mentioned alone, yeah, it's going to be a lot of snubbing going on. You're right. <laughs> and, and, and so it, it, and what this is, this is basically taking my idea I talk about when you, you're looking at Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Hall of Fame whoever, there's even tears in the Hall of Fame. Like, not every Hall of Famer is is equal, right? You've just got some locks that you're, you're all-time great. You've got some other guys that are, that are great but not quite there. So, what the NFL is saying, okay, these 12 running backs are sitting at the big table. You know, all these other running backs are in the room, your Marshall Falks and, 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 and so forth. Uh, you know, Franco Harris even. You know, those guys are in the room. <laughs> yeah. But they're – uh-huh. But they're not in the t- you know Tony Dorsett no guy like they're in the room but they're not they're not there. Uh, uh-huh. So, but that's so that's that's just my my thoughts on on that. We covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, man, got so much to look forward to. Um, I'm gonna see what the Rockets do against the Heat tonight, and, and you know don't have to work tomorrow. Stay up and see what your Lakers are looking like against. Uh, the Pelicans, see what they're, they're talking about. Uh, football all day tomorrow. Cats and cards on Saturday. Got Kentucky and UAB Friday. Your Niners and the Ravens. Is that a Monday night game or is that on Sunday? That's Sunday. It's 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 Sunday, so Sunday. it should be should should be fun. You know, uh, I enjoy the uh, the NFL games on Thanksgiving. Probably my my favorite memory of all the Thanksgiving Day games is, and I hate to bring it up, but it's, it's, oh, it's Leon Lett. Oh, and I just I remember watching that. that with my dad, and my dad said, what is he doing? Like, <laughs> just because it was just bizarre because, you know, it was the Texas Stadium. There was snow on the ground, but there was no snow like in the, because of the hole in the roof. It was just a we- it was weird. It was a Dolphins. And, uh, I remember I can't remember the re- I can't remember his name, but the receiver for your Cowboys he caught it 
and scored a touchdown, but he kind of slid in, in, in the snow. And I just remember that. But then the, the field goal, the, that's my favorite, my favorite memory of, of that. They blocked it. They blocked it. They're about to win the game. Everybody's saying, get away from it. Get away from it. And Big Leon just comes sliding in like he's going in third base or breaking up a double play at second and, and just <laughs> makes the ball live again. And the Dolphins got it and kicked the field goal to win the game, I think 16-14. to 14. But the Cowboys did go on to win the Super Bowl. So that was, you know. That was a sad Thanksgiving Thursday, man. And that's back. That's when you're younger, man. You just mope around. Team lose when you're like 15, 16, like that. That would just kill you. Oh, it was just to just just be sick. And for him to lose that one like that, it just made you sick. (laughs) 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 But, you know, you get older and, you, you know, you handle them better, and you let them roll out your back a lot quicker, and <laughs> you move on with your day. But, you know, back then, that was one. You're like, oh, my God. You know, so, man, we just had, had a ton of fun, like you said, covered a ton. Uh, thanks to Chris Rodriguez Sr. and Big Blue Drew uh, stopping by and enjoying the conversation with them. Uh Looking forward to hearing you Friday night or Saturday or both or whatever on ESPN 680 and all the big things you're doing there and getting more and more thrown your way. So congratulations. Doing your thing on Round of Shots as well. I see you with Kevin Hill and everybody on that panel. So uh, all kind of fun stuff going on. It's that time of year that we talked about all summer. It's finally here, and it's in full swing. So. Enjoy your evening, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your Lakers playing the uh, Pelicans. Uh, thanks to our guests, we had a ball. We look forward to talking about all of it next Wednesday evening, man. Yep, uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody, you and your family, everybody that's listening, and thank you again to our guests. That's right. Thank you, thank you. We'll see y'all next Wednesday. If y'all want to advertise on the show, feel free to holler at us.